funny how? It'd be funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. difficulties jonathan you want to explain indeed we have unfortunately we recorded our top 10 of 2019 and there was some slight issues um that hopefully will not become a problem we are going to do this again but what we decided to do is we're just going to kind of run through our first five or like our top 10 our, our last five just run through them talk about them a little bit and then we'll spend a little bit of time on the top five but mainly we just wanted to get you guys a list out uh, so we'd have a top of top 10 of 2019. If you listened to our top of the decade, we did not tell you 2019. So you will find out in this episode. Obviously, it goes without saying all of these are recommended from each of us. So, uh, yeah, watch them if you have not seen them. You got anything else to add before we jump in? Um, I don't think so. I, I, I'm, I'm happy about this. This is like a, an early uh podcasts like cliche you know how you'll like listen to like the first episode of some random podcast and they'll be like uh uh sorry about the sound guys you know it'll be like some like muffled shit and like i feel like we're you know we're 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 in good company you know every podcast has these these difficulties at first absolutely yes and hopefully uh we're getting our fuck up out of the way early and i hate to say fuck up as it is the uh the website we are using but you know what i mean what it's a curse word. You hate to use that word because it's a curse word, right? That is exactly right. We are we are not a swearing podcast. This is for children and families. So <laughs> gather, gather around the the fire, uh, turn the old the old old timey radio on. Um, that's the biggest thing in your living room. Uh, that's the size of a jukebox, and listen to our uh, top ten of twenty nineteen. All right, I'm yeah, because we're about to blow your fucking minds. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> Exactly. That is the tagline. Okay, dude, start us off with your number 10. My number 10 is a movie called Atlantics. Uh, this is a movie that is on Netflix. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you? This is something from our from our scrapped episode. Did you? Want oh, I didn't forget. I, I figured I'd let you continue and then I'll jump in. No, no, please go ahead. Please. Okay. Fealty to the God of Netflix. Yeah. So here's the deal, guys. First, first time running through this. Um, I had something to say about Netflix. My co-host uh, referred to licking the boot, I believe. Um, so real quick, I wanted to give Netflix a shout out because they had a hell of a year. I have loved so much of the movies they've released. And I have to say this because I've talked mad shit about Netflix over the years and their movie quality. But we had El Camino, Paddleton, and then the, a few others that are in our top 10. A Marriage Story, which I have not seen, neither of you, but it looks to be getting a lot of attention. So... They had a good year, and Atlantics is a Netflix movie, so you're welcome. Finally, finally, Netflix is getting some much-needed recognition uh, for what they're doing for the world of cinema. So thank you for that, Jonathan. Um, you are very welcome. That's what I'm here to do. <laughs> All right, so number 10, Atlantics. Um, this movie is essentially, I think a lot of people haven't seen it. I certainly haven't heard a lot of people talking about it. This movie is essentially, um, it uh, takes place in Senegal. It is directed by a Senegalese woman. Um, it is ostensibly, it starts out as a movie sort of about the migrant crisis and 
initially thought watching the trailer that it was going to be some, uh, you know, some kind of Oscar bait thing. But uh, about a half hour in, it turns into sort of a ghost story, um, almost like a supernatural melodrama or something. Um, reminds me of uh, the old uh, Joseph Mankiewicz movie, The Ghost of Mrs. Muir, you know, something like that. It's, um, it's a very interesting movie, and it goes in some directions that you don't think it would. Um, I don't know, it's very beautifully filmed. Um, yeah, kind of an interesting genre experiment that I really, really enjoyed. Yeah, what do, what do you know about it, Dylan? Have you seen any trailers for it or heard anything about it? Yeah, I have not seen anything um, about it. And maybe we've heard of it until I saw it on your list, so I will watch it. And as we pointed out in the first time we did this, uh, any movies on your list I haven't seen because um, I didn't have the time to watch them or they weren't available. When I do watch them, we'll probably briefly revisit. Oh, yeah, what's your number 10? So number 10 is The Lighthouse. Uh, this guy, Robert Edgars, directed it. Same guy that did The Witch, a very interesting movie, a very art house movie that got a lot of love. Um, it was entertaining, but also very unsettling at times, very weird, black and white, um, a very claustrophobic ratio, um, the way he shot it. So uh, cinematography was beautiful. Like the acting was great. Uh, Robert Pattinson, Willem Dafoe, it was very much so like their movie. And uh, it was very interesting. So I'm curious to see what you're going to think when you watch it, because I know you haven't seen it. And uh, yeah, it yeah, was a, it was a weird movie. Um, I do have a question. That's Willem Dafoe, right? I do have a really yeah, Willem Dafoe. Uh, crucial question for you. Do you see his hog in this movie? You don't. You do not see anything in this movie. Oh, sorry, go ahead. There is a weird scene. Hmm? Well, there's a weird scene where I do believe he is touching himself. And I think you do see his ass. But that's about it. He did not pull like an antichrist move here. Yeah. And I have heard that his uh, dangling participle is uh, I've heard it's legendary from from a lot of people that have seen it. So, yeah, uh, massive, massive member uh, is the rumor there. Um, And like, I know there are some movies that (laughs) there are some movies where like you see it, I think maybe obliquely, but like apparently and, oh, 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 I know a story about this. Sorry, I know a story about this. I should have I should have brought this up to begin with. Apparently, Lars von Trier in Antichrist, the Willem Dafoe penis is a body double. It's actually a porn star who, like, his erect penis is in the movie or something. I don't really remember Antichrist that well. But apparently, Lars von Trier, like, Willem Dafoe was like, yeah, sure, I'll show my dick. I don't give a shit. And when he, like, showed his dick to Lars von Trier, it was so big that Lars von Trier was like, we can't have that in the movie. Like, we, we literally cannot have a comically large penis in Antichrist. It will just completely ruin the vibe. So, folks, you heard it here first. Willem Dafoe's penis big for a Lars von Trier movie. That is bizarre. I've never heard that story. Interesting. Uh, good for you, Willem. Good for you. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, we we stand a, uh, a large king on this podcast. Yes. So... So there's no real there's no real way to transition from uh, overly large penis. So what's your number nine? <laughs> my my number nine is Long Day's Journey into Night. This is a really interesting Chinese film. Where the first hour or so it's two hours long. The first half of the movie is uh, pretty conventional art house fair. It's sort of dreamy, you know, Wong Kar Wai ish. Um, you know, very beautiful cinematography. It's about a gangster who loves a girl and who 
you know, kills somebody and then reforms and it's back and forth in time. And it's kind of an interesting movie. But the second half is where it really goes off the rails in a very interesting way. And it's basically one long tracking shot uh, that's an hour long and is a dream sequence. Um, He falls asleep in a movie theater and then the rest of the movie is just his dream sequence. Um, And uh, I don't know, what can I say? The gimmick worked on me. It was really beautiful cinematography, really an interesting way to structure a movie. Um, And if you see it in theaters, um, which I believe it's not in theaters anymore, but it's a 3D shot. Um, you put your 3D glasses on halfway through the movie. And then the second half is supposed to be in 3D. I've seen it both ways. Um, per- I don't particularly care for the 3D, so I think if you watch it at home, you're going to be fine. Um, but it's a really, really, really interesting um, interesting structure to it. Um, you know, And as, as, as artsy as that sounds, there's a really compelling narrative and some really compelling character work in this movie, too. So... Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a it was an interesting movie that uh, had some gimmicks that frankly really worked on me. I loved it. Yeah, this is another one that uh, I had never heard of, but it's on my list now, and I most definitely will watch it um, because it sounds awesome. I love the transition into a dream sequence, and I love long shots. Like I love one take shots. Uh, they're really cool. Yeah, it's one of those, um, and not to spend too much time on it, but it's it's one of those. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the Alfred Hitchcock movie Rope. That is also like its gimmick is that the whole thing is one shot. Um, but of course, you know, since Hitchcock was was recording on on film, um, it uh, uh, since Hitchcock was recording on film, like the transitions where like every 15 minutes he has to change reels are kind of obvious. Like he will, he will go behind a TV set and like the screen will turn black and then. You know, you can see clearly where they changed the reel and then edited it to make it look like it was one long take. This one, this movie, Long Day's Journey Into Night, this long take is really hard to find the spots where they edited it together. Um, and I even heard rumors that they literally did it in one take and that it's not edited together digitally at all. I don't know if I believe that because an hour is insane. Yeah, man, that's the equivalent of like a fucking play. Like that's outlandish if they were able to pull that off. Yeah, I mean, I, I would even think it's harder than a play because you have a moving camera that's going through all that. And when you see the movie, like, I mean, the camera, like, there's drone shots. The camera, like, swoops over a valley. And, like, you're just like, there's no way they did that in one take. But, I mean, the, the, the scenes are really difficult to find. So it's an interesting movie to watch, I mean, just on that account alone. But it also is really satisfying and really good. Fuck yeah, yeah, I'll watch it because it sounds awesome. Yeah, it's interesting. So what was your My name? number nine is a Netflix movie. Uh, Dolomite is my name. And it is a Netflix produced movie. Um, I'm sorry, I said that already. I just want to say, it. yeah. So Netflix, um, let Eddie Murphy make a movie. Uh, and we probably wouldn't have got it, gotten it um, from a regular studio. So I'm really happy that happened. And okay, I'm done now. And um, <laughs> rub it in, rub it in. Yeah. No, Eddie. Eddie Murphy was so good, man. He was so great. Wesley Snipes was great. I do not remember the female co-star, but she was great too. Like it was funny. It was heartwarming. It was like, I don't know, man. It felt like old school Eddie Murphy. It felt like trading places, Beverly Hills cop, like coming to America, Harlem nights type Eddie Murphy. And it's so cool to have him back. Yeah, I, I also uh, watched this movie, and I uh, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. He's, I mean, what a talent. 
Eddie Murphy is. I mean, he's so charming, so talented. Um, that laugh. I mean, he's a star. He's Eddie Murphy is an absolute fucking superstar. Like he's just, he's funny. He can be serious. He's, uh, he's great. And he's great in this, um, really an interesting story an interesting character. Um, yeah, I, I loved it. Then there's also kind of like a, you know, not to spoil anything, but they, they make a movie, you know, they make a black exploitation movie with Eddie Murphy as the star uh, within the movie, movie within the movie. And like, it's so, I love those sequences where it's like getting the gang together to, to make a movie or getting the gang together to, you know, do a project of some sort. You know, I always like those kind of scenes and montages and stuff. And it, this is very much that kind of movie. Absolutely. It's everybody getting together, yeah, I, I like it. for the, for the sake of the project. Yeah. I, I really dig that as well. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a good ass movie, dude. Yeah. So that, and I'm glad um, in all seriousness, I am glad movies like that are easily accessible because I feel like sometimes they, a film like that would get lost in the fray with everything else, but having it on a streaming service is actually a huge help for that. Um, and hopefully more people will be able to see it because of that. Oh, of course. I mean, yeah, all joking aside about, you know, kissing the Netflix ring and all that. Like, I mean, it's true. Like we, in this like late capitalist dystopia that we live in, like we have to rely on corporate overlords in order to, um, you know, in order to uh, uh, be patrons of the arts. You know what I mean? It's no different than the Koch brothers, like funding a new wing on the Metropolitan Opera House or whatever. You know what I mean? It's been that way forever. So um so yeah absolutely i mean it's you know credit where credit is due um all right so my uh number eight is that right yeah number eight yeah number eight my number eight is parasite uh by bong joon ho um i uh you know a lot of people putting this in their top three and top five i like the movie i think it's really good i think it's possibly even great it's his i think it's definitely his masterpiece um but you know, I just don't. Uh, I just don't have the affinity for his particular uh, his particular vision. It doesn't. It doesn't really hit home with me as much. I think as it does with other people. That being said, it's a really good fucking movie. You're gonna have a good time, and you know, if the, I'm sure if you listen to if you're listening to this podcast, you've either already seen it or you plan to see it. So there's no point in recommending it. But it is. Um, I mean, it's really great. It's it's really um, it's fun. It's uh, there's a lot of good character work. It's uh, yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, I haven't got around to seeing it, um, but I'm a fan of his. Uh, I like the host. I like Okja. I know you didn't care for either of those, but I I really did enjoy the host. And then Mother was pretty good as well. Like he's he's pretty he's a pretty solid director for the most part. Um, my number eight, I'm gonna hold off on talking about because. Uh, it is in your. It's higher on your list, so we'll talk about it then. Um, what's your number seven? My number seven. I have a little Asian trilogy here at seven, eight, nine. Uh, my number seven is Ashes Purest White, which is another Chinese gangster movie. Um, this one is a little bit different, though. It's a little more muted, not as gimmicky as Long Day's Journey, um, and it kind of turns into a romantic melodrama at the end. It's about a woman who. Uh, does five years in prison for her gangster husband. And then when she gets out, um, shenanigans ensue. Um, it's uh, man, it's a really good movie. Um, 
what can I say about Ashes Pure Insight? It's really, um, it's interesting that it takes place in rural China, which is something that, it, which is not a, 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 a geographical place that I'm really familiar with. Um, but it was an interesting place to set a movie because it wasn't in like the glistening metropolis of like Hong Kong or Beijing or whatever. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's a good, it's a good movie. It's a good uh, gangster movie that turns into kind of a Douglas Sirk melodrama at the end. I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. No, that sounds, this is another one that I'm definitely going to watch. Like I'm definitely making note of all the ones I haven't seen. Cause like, it's funny because I've seen these pop up on a couple of lists since we recorded the first time. So it's interesting that they're getting talked about more. So I'm looking forward to checking this one out as well. Yeah, it's a good one. So what was your, uh, what was your number seven? My number seven was Ford V Ferrari. Uh, James Mangold directed movie. Uh, in my opinion, he's a little underrated. Does not get enough respect. Christian Bell. We all know how great he is. Matt Damon, same story. Tracy Letts. Um, it was solid. It looked like it was going to be Oscar bait. That was a concern of mine. I know I know that was a concern of yours as well, but it was super exciting. Uh, cinematography was great. Well shot. The racing scenes were amazing. Uh, really like pulse pounding action. And uh, I mean, it was all capped off with Christian Bell's performance. His performance was just, it. Uh, it's so redundant to keep praising this guy, but he is, he's something else. He was unreal in this movie. Yeah, I uh, I don't know for some reason I just haven't gotten around to seeing it yet. I know it was in theaters here for a while, but um, I definitely do plan on watching it. It's uh, it looks like a like a guys being dudes movie, you know, just like cars and like racing and shit. And it just I don't know. It looks it looks like it would be like a very entertaining, uh, a, a fun ride. Yeah, no, for sure. It was it was a super super fun ride. It was a great movie. Um, and and mainly it was just like and kind of a boring subject turned into a lot of fun. So yeah, no, it's uh yeah, I'm looking forward to you to watch it so we can talk about it. So what was your number six? I believe we're on. Yeah. Six. Um, my number six was under the silver lake. Um, man, I love this movie. It's, it's on Amazon prime. I feel like some, I feel like people were talking about it, but I also feel like I, everybody I've run into who likes movies didn't like, they're always like, oh, I haven't got around to watching it yet. And it's, um, it's a long one. It's a slow burn, but it's uh, it's it's very film noir. It's Andrew Garfield goes on the search for a missing girl, and uh, he gets caught up in the Silver Lake um, underground, basically. Um, very LA movie, very California movie, specifically the East Side of Los Angeles. You know, kind of like a a hipster, you know, paradise or something, or at least maybe. You know, maybe like 10 years. I think it's actually, interestingly enough, I think it's set in 2011. It doesn't say that anywhere in the movie, but I read an interview with him where he says it's kind of set like 10 years ago, you know, before maybe the rich people moved into Silver Lake when it was still a little bit weird or something. Um, and um, yeah, it's, it's a classic noir, really. Um, he just kind of wanders around and sees a bunch of weird shit. Uh, very Lynchian. Um, yeah, I don't know. Really interesting movie. What, what, what have you... Uh, what have you heard or what are your preconceptions for Under the Silver Lake? I've actually heard a lot of good things about this movie. I know it did, uh, as we discussed in the first episode, it did a small festival run and then it kind of disappeared. Um, but then it, it got right. uh, it got some national recognition, thankfully, and it kind of rolled out. But it's still kind of quiet, quiet rollout onto Amazon Prime. I've been wanting to see it. Never got around to it. You having it on your list definitely propels it higher on mine. So I will watch it soon because i do like noirs and i i really like andrew garfield 
Yeah, I feel like it's one of those movies where like, you know, when your own when your own specific cinematic proclivities just line up and you're like, well, this is this is tailor made for me, you know, so I know I'm going to enjoy it. It's it was that type of thing for me. So, um, yeah. It's no, that's cool. Yeah, no, I, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. OK, so what was your next one? My number six was Booksmart. And um, yeah, this movie was kind of billed as a female super bad. That's bullshit. If you haven't seen it, watch it. It's on Hulu. Um, I believe her name's Beanie Feldstein. She is, uh, she's a co-star. She is Jonah Hill's sister. She's fucking awesome. She is absolutely hilarious. Both of them are great, but her facial expressions, physical comedy works really well. Um, the whole cast was great. I believe this was Olivia Wilde's directorial debut and, uh, it was a super fun movie. I laughed my ass off. Um, the way they handled certain subject matter was really, uh, good in my opinion, there's a lot of shit that goes into movies these days with where they handle certain subject matter poorly. And I think this handle this movie handled everything pretty well. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think I've seen it like five times this year or last year, I should say. Yeah. I, I also, um, I've watched book smart and really enjoyed it. I, um, really genuinely fucking hilarious. Um, laugh out loud. I mean, it's, it's really, really, really funny. Um, and something that I brought up last episode that I, I'll just sort of briefly mention on this episode um, is it was interesting to me how in, you know, it got compared to super bad a lot, which I don't think is really that good of a, like you said, it's not that good of a comparison um, because, you know, super bad, the kids were losers. You know, Michael Sarah is going to college and Jonah Hill isn't, but you, they're not really smart kids or you, you never get the idea that they're overachievers in any way where this was interesting because not only are the main characters overachievers, but it seems like all of their friends are too. And like the whole school is just like full of overachievers who are all going to Ivy league schools and, you know, we're taking a gap year. Gap year is a word that gets thrown around this movie, which uh, like <laughs> I'm sure 90% of Americans like don't even know what gap year is or, or never have that enter the conversation about their ch- children, the life of their children. I mean, I certainly, I know we certainly never had gap years that were <laughs> like mentioned whenever we were growing up, you know? Um, so it's kind of interesting it's a movie of its time. It's like a girl boss, super bad where um, the, uh, the female characters are not allowed to be like sort of lame fuck ups. You know, they're, they're absolute slay queens who are succeeding at everything and they're beautiful and they're funny and they're um, very like over high overachievers. The only thing that they're missing is like a cool story to tell. And, and of course, you know, no spoilers, but by the, by the end of the movie, of course they achieve their goals and, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't, and I know maybe that sounds like it's damning it with faint praise, um, but it's uh, it's a movie of its time. It's interesting. It's interesting to uh, think about the differences between something like that and something like Superbat, which is I mean, Jesus, thirteen years old at this point. You know. Um, yeah. No, I agree, hundred uh, percent. It is a product of its time. So uh, we are now in our top five. So uh, we'll get through these a little bit. Um, but, you know, we do want to talk about some of them because one of them we we agree on, which happens to be our number five. So we can have a quick conversation about that a little bit, because if you have not seen this, it is on VOD right now. Check it out. You want to tell them what it is? Ad Astra, baby. Love Ad Astra. This movie was something else. Um, you, you tell them what you thought first. Yeah, I mean, yeah sure. Um, you know, I, I don't even know where to start with this movie. I, it was like... Uh, you know, the space, the, the world that it takes place in, the worlds that it depicts. Um, 
something else I didn't think of too, whenever we talked about it on our scrapped episode now is the, um, the, uh, the action. There's some great action in this movie. Um, it's, it's really thrilling at certain points. Oh yeah. The action on the moon and, uh, that first action sequence and then the action on, or not technically action, but the way they depicted Mars and everything, it was beautiful. It was beautiful and it was great. Like, yeah, that, that scene on Mars, I wish they hadn't spoiled in the trailers because it was really well done. Yeah, it, um, yeah, I, I mean, just run, don't walk to see this bad boy. I mean, uh, Brad Pitt is a movie star. I mean, one of our brightest movie stars. I mean, him and Tom Cruise are the only, the only guys left in the, you know, in the big, you know, everybody loves them movie star club. And, uh, I don't know, man, his, his stoicism, his, his measured performance that he gives, um, and I remember we were talking about the, we were talking before about the uh, voiceover and, I, I mean, I generally am allergic to voiceovers as well, you know, because, um, you know, most of the time they're just sort of stating information that is just already happening in the movie, you know, but in this case, I remember I said to you, like, you can't have Brad Pitt and like have him be stoic and just waste that voice of his, you know, it was like, uh, it was like uh, having Humphrey Bogart in a movie and having him do the voiceover. You don't mind because it's Humphrey Bogart, you know, and that's the way I felt about the, the voiceover and, you know, it's, um, God, it's moving. I mean, it really, truly is moving. It, it, it's a father-son story, but there's also, it's also not a father-son story in the sense that it is about Brad Pitt's character. It is a character-based movie and about how this character changes and develops throughout the course of the movie. And it's, I mean, I don't, I mean, it's powerful. That's all I can say. It's powerful. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, I, you pretty much said, you said everything. I think um, it was, it was gut wrenching at some points for a very simple story. It offered a lot. Um, and his performance was great. I mean, visually it was great. I mean, yeah, the whole movie, it was just a home run. If you have seen it, watch it. Like it's a nice hard sci-fi movie. It makes you think it is, uh, it is something that needs to be seen on the biggest screen available to you because it is gorgeous. So yeah, that one's, that one's highly recommended. Yeah, that's true. James Gray. James Gray, God level director. At I agree. Yeah, no. And I, we talked about it in the, we talked about it in the scrapped episode as well. We're going to do an episode on James Gray and kind of talk about his work a little more. So, uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll put that in the books and have that out at some point. So uh, what is your number four? Yeah. So my number four is a movie that I feel like absolutely nobody has seen. It's called transit. Um, and it's, um, just for the sake of brevity, it's it's a movie that is based on a novel that's set in World War II, uh, but it takes place in current day. So there's all these references to camps and to, you know, people marching on Marseille, you know, and of course they're talking about Nazis, but it, there's no there's no period piece. It, it takes place in modern day. And so it gives the effect of being like a science fiction movie, you know, that's like a few years in the future, because obviously like things are bad, but there aren't Nazis marching on Marseille, you know, and uh, it's uh, it was a, it's an interesting choice. Um, and when you're watching the movie, there's just, it's, it's ghostly. It's, you're thinking about, okay, this dialogue was from a novel that was based in World War II, but they're filming it on the streets of Europe today. And it's kind of depicting this like bizarre future world. It's just, I don't know. It, it kind of like fucks with you and the time perspective. But aside from that, it is also a thriller. It's about people trying to escape. Um, it's very, it's like Casablanca. It's about people trying to escape from these sort of neutral territories before, you know, the Nazis take over. And there's a, there's a kind of slow burn claustrophobia where, you know, people are telling their stories about, 
why they're escaping and how they escaped and they're falling in love with each other and they're fighting each other and killing each other in some cases. And it's, um, yeah, I don't know. It was really kind of a fascinating movie, both from an artistic perspective. It, it kind of makes you think and it kind of tickles those, those little, um, you know, pieces of your brain that really wants to, you know, think about the way things are quote unquote, but also it is a really entertaining movie and uh, ultimately turns into a little bit of a love story at the end. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Have you have you heard of Transit? I don't I don't know if it's streaming on anything or you just have to rent it. I don't know. I do believe it's streaming on Amazon Prime. I had not heard of it until you brought it up. So it is on my list as well to watch. And I will watch that soon. And we'll talk about it because it sounds awesome. And it sounds like a very interesting idea. Now, obviously, it's on Prime. Most people have it. So guys, if you have it, watch it. Because um, I'm obviously, it's in your top five. So it must be really good. So if you get the opportunity to check it out and it's free, so that's even better. Uh, I will do so fairly soon. Um, my number four, peanut butter Falcon. Uh, this is a movie that I also feel kind of flew under the radar a bit. Um, Shia LaBeouf is phenomenal in it. Really like his character. It's a very Mark Twain Americana type of story. Uh, one guy that's kind of a criminal, but kind of not. Um, it's about a kid with down syndrome who runs away from an elderly home where he was at because his family left him. And he wants to become a professional wrestler. And Bruce Dern has a small but memorable part, Thomas Hayden Church. This movie came out of nowhere. I've seen it several times. I had a really uh, kind of a personal, uh, like emotional connection to it. And that really is the reason it's uh, it's in my top four is because uh, there were some things that I just really liked. So to me, it was a powerful movie that I thoroughly enjoyed. And if you have not seen it, it's on VOD. So check it out because you will not be disappointed. And I know you've seen it. Um, and I think you liked it, didn't you? I loved it. I, um, you know, I feel like the term heartwarming gets thrown around like a lot kind of negatively, but like, you know, made me think of like, um, an after school special or like, a, I mean, this is, you know, really going to be an insult, but like almost like a lifetime movie, but like these, you know, these cultural forms that like that, they, they are there to fulfill a need. And I think this movie is doing a really good job of fulfilling that need of being kind of a, a heartwarming not quite magical realism but kind of almost like you're like okay this is you know like in real life they would just take this kid back immediately you know whatever and some kind of unrealistic things happen but it doesn't matter because the the chemistry between the leads is is um so so like fun to watch and there's a love story that doesn't quite work but also you want it to work because you're just like rooting for these characters and uh I don't know, man. I, 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 I didn't have any type of personal connection to it. I just, I watched it just from a purely pleasure perspective. And I, it was one of those things that I turned on and then I just found myself paying more and more attention to. And then by the end I was like, Oh, like this was such a, it was such a fun watch. It was such an edifying watch. I felt so, I don't know. I felt so good after it was over. It's, it's, it's really like, this is one of those like rainy Saturday movies where you watch and you're just like, man, I just feel good now. Like this is what a happy movie, you know, even though there is of course, you know, some dark things along the way. It's, uh, I don't know. I, I really, really enjoyed it. My number three, I'll go first because your number three is uh, in my number two. So we'll talk about it at that time. Uh, my number three is Jojo rabbit. Um, great performances all around. Taika Waititi, uh, wrote, directed it, starred in it as Hitler. And if that's not a, a hook to pull you in, I don't know what is. Scarlett Johansson gave what I think is her best performance of the year, but I've not seen Marriage Story. Uh, the kid's name, I believe, is Roman something. He's fucking great. 
um, that the girl who plays the the Jewish hide, the hideaway girl, uh, she's fucking good. I cannot remember her name. Uh, I should have looked it up beforehand. Either way, this movie, just see it. It's charming. It's it's brutal at times. It's fucking hilarious. It's satirical without being tongue in cheek or goofy. It's never obnoxious. It's so well written. Like it is, it was really something to behold. Uh, when I saw this movie, it was actually, I was thinking it might be the best movie of the year, but then I saw uh, my number one movie and then I decided another movie beat it out too. But it was very fucking close. Like, so if you have not seen this, watch it. You will not be disappointed. That is almost a guarantee. I, um, was talking to a friend of mine. I have not seen Jojo Rabbit yet. I haven't got around to seeing it yet, but I definitely do plan on it. I was talking to a friend of mine and she was saying that um like there are still some moments like a few even like days later that she thinks about and still laughs at them. Like that it is like one of the funniest movies she's seen. Like and that's uh I don't know. I don't know what I expected from this movie, but uh I don't know. Now I mean you have such high praise for it. It uh it really sounds like uh, like you know something special, so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it, which I don't think was the case before we talked about it. So uh, so yeah, I'll definitely definitely check it out as soon as it gets the uh, the old Amazon store. Fuck yeah, yeah, I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna buy it when it comes out, and because it's one of those movies I want to own and just put on because it, yeah, it's just really well done. So um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. Lazy Sundays when you just want to put on a movie about the Holocaust, you know that kind of thing. Oh yeah, satirical take on World War II and Nazis and and Holocaust. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so that was my number three. So we are officially in the top three. But your number three is my number two. So roll it out. Yeah. Um, Once upon a time in Hollywood, the new the ninth movie from Quentin Tarantino. Clear out clear out the lane for you because you have this one spot higher than me. So just go for it, man. G- give me the, you know, give me the three minute burst of just love you have for this movie. Every fucking thing about this movie. It is a fucking time machine. It is Tarantino at might be his best in terms of where he's at in his work, where he's at with his vision. It's revisionist history in the best way. It was a big fuck you to like the fucked up shit that ruined the heyday, as you pointed out in the first step and the first time we've uh, recorded this Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, I can remember, I can never remember her name. Um, who plays what's her name? Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie's fucking great. I wish she would have had more screen time. Um, but everybody's great, man. Like it, their friendship is what carries you. Like you just want to spend time with these guys. Kurt Russell was great. Um, everything about this movie, the pacing, the writing, like the third act is fucking crazy. And I'm not even going to fucking spoil it. If you have not seen this movie, what are you doing with your life? Go watch it. Um, I will not spoil the third act because it is one of the craziest, most amazing third acts I saw last year. Well, I actually, okay, like I actually am going to spoil it because I think, I think it's vital to talk about. I think if you are listening to this, you either have seen it or you plan on seeing it. And of course, you know, I am going to spoil it. So don't, you know, flip ahead, like, you know, two paces or whatever, like a minute. Um, The thing that I love most about this movie is this is, this is a late career work. This is, you know, this is, uh, this is the, the beginning of Quentin Tarantino's autumn. You know, this is his fall. This is, he's entering his late period. Now he says he's going to make 10 movies. Maybe he will, I don't know. But even if he makes more than 10 movies, he's certainly acting like he's only going to make 10 movies because he, 
I think he's thinking about his legacy. He's thinking about um, what is on the shelf of the video store. Not that that exists anymore, but he's thinking about what's on the shelf of the video store in the Quentin Tarantino section, you know? And I think a few years ago, he would have been like, oh, well, like or not a few years ago now, over 10 years ago, he would have been like, oh, well, there's got to be a Grindhouse movie on there. There's got to be a Kung Fu movie and there's got to be a Spaghetti Western. And there's got to be this and blah, blah, blah. Well, now I think he's really, he's really thinking hard about his legacy. And I, I love the fact that he creates this world, this this ideal world that he, you can tell he just wants to go back and live in. This is Quentin Tarantino's Disneyland, his 1960s um, Hollywood. And he creates it and luxuriates in it and spends, one could argue, maybe too much time in there. I wouldn't argue that, but some have. Um, and then at the end, you know, everybody everybody knows what happens to that 60s Hollywood. It gets uh, stamped out by, you know, the Manson killings. And for him when you're watching that third act there's so much tension there the first time you watch it because you're thinking i don't want this to come to an end i like he's created this world and now i have to watch the world be destroyed and i don't want that to happen because i just spent two and a half hours in this world and luxuriated in it and i don't want it to end and in a supreme act of artistic confidence and uh uh a supreme act of just artistic vision Tarantino says, no, in my movie, this is my work of art. It's not reality. And in my work of art, I'm not going to let the Manson killings defeat or destroy 1960s Hollywood. Instead, in my work of art, the ninth film by Quentin Tarantino, 1960s Hollywood is going to live forever because it's my work of art. I can do what the fuck I want to do in my work of art. And that's 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 not my pitch because everybody's going to see this movie who wants to see it. But that's my that's my take on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's 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 such a supreme act of artistic expression and such a love letter to all of the things that he holds dear. And I think he's I think he's thinking about look if I want to hang it up one day, I want to have made this perfect '60s Hollywood fairy tale. And I mean, by God, he did it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with everything you said. I mean, this movie sells itself. I think if you haven't seen it by now, you probably aren't going to watch it. So if you're having second, like if you were still on the fence about it, watch it. Like it is well worth your time. Um, so let's wrap this up, man. Your top two, your number two is my number one. So roll it out. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, Jonathan's number one, my number two, uh, Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. Uh, go ahead, man. Get us started on The Irishman. Yeah, I'm just going to – I'll keep it – you know, the, the, it, I could talk about this movie, and at some point we're going to do a series on Scorsese because you can't not do a series on Scorsese. Uh, Pesci, Pacino, De Niro, you think it's a Goodfellas kind of like endeavor, and you find out it's not, and it's it's reflective, sometimes depressing. It's beautifully shot. The only distraction is the de-aging, which kind of gets on your nerves, but you kind of get over it because it's fucking Scorsese and it's just some of the finest acting you've ever seen. Ray Romano, so very underrated in this movie. Pesci stills the show, though, but it was just is a passion project for, for Scorsese. You could tell he was in it. You could tell he had something to say. It's... uh. You know, his clock's winding down, and it's a sad thing, but it's true. He's 77, and it's it's obvious in this movie. Um, this movie's all the buzz now, so I don't want to be repetitive, so I'll just say, see it. It's on Netflix. It's three hours and 30 minutes. If you think that's too long, don't watch it because it's not your kind of movie. Yeah, I um, I actually, I mean, I think it's really similar to um, 
I think this is really similar to um, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in the sense that, you know, if, if, if the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is Quentin Tarantino's Autumn, uh, this is, I think, along with Silence, um, even though I haven't seen Silence, I know, I know sort of the general themes um, that are at work in Silence. Um, Scorsese is in his winter period. This is, this is a lion of the cinema. Um, and he's, he's entering his, you know, he's entering his winter phase. He's, he's almost, like you said, he's almost 80 years old and it's, it's, he's at the point where it's like, okay, anything I got to say, I got to get it out, you know? And, um, you know, you can tell, you can tell that he, he, um, that him, him, the character of Robert De Niro, he, he's looking at that character and thinking that could have been me. I could have been one of those two big gangsters who, you know, spoilers, I'm sure if you wanted to see it, you have seen it already. Um, I could have been one of those two big gangsters who gets old and who stands for nothing, who has essentially has nothing um, and has no epiphany about it, has no thoughts, has no, um, just a fucking guy who picks out his casket and who just sits in a nursing home and has no family, no friends, no, no nothing. And what I loved about this movie is it's almost as if you can hear Martin Scorsese whispering, you know, that could have been me, but this movie, this three and a half hour thing that I just made, this is proof that I'm not that. Because I am a person who is an artist, who created art, who spent the last, you know, five decades or whatever hanging out with my buddies, making making movies, making art that millions of people enjoy. This guy that you see at the end of this movie, that is not fucking me. And it's a good thing that's not me too. And 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 that is it's powerful. It's powerful. This is, I think it's like, just like once upon a time in Hollywood in the sense that it is a supreme artistic statement and a supreme artistic vision. And that's not to mention just how fun the movie is for most of its three and a half hour runtime before it sort of enters that final phase, you know, maybe an hour, hour and a half uh, before the end. Um, every minute, every minute, it needed every minute of that three and a half hour runtime. Um, I mean, what can you say at this point? We're going to do a Scorsese retrospective at some point, but it's, I mean, it's a late, it's a late career masterpiece. It's, it's, you know, it's going to go down as one of his, one of his best, one of the best work from one of our best directors. So, you know. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, there's, like you said, there's not much left to say about it. It's just, it's, it was something to behold. I, I'm glad I got to see it in theaters. And, uh, and yeah, I don't know. It's just, uh, it was bittersweet. I'll say that. Um, so your number one is my number eight, which is interesting. Um, so let's talk about it. Yeah, so it's I love this movie quite a bit more than you did, and I think it's it's getting a lot of love, and I'm, I think I love it even more than people are loving it. Um, Uncut Gems, the Safdie brothers movie with Adam Sandler. Again, if you're listening to this, this is a movie you've either probably seen or um, you are about to see. Um, it's uh, you know the, these other movies that I, I liked you know, almost equally as much. I mean, the Scorsese movie and the Tarantino movie, you know, these are, you know, these are thoughtful, um, you know, give you something to think about. These are major works from our major, you know, cinematic artists. But I mean, Uncut Gems is just, it is a, it is a rail of Coke straight to the fucking bloodstream. It is balls to the wall, takes you on a ride. You forget you're even watching a movie. You feel like you're on a theme park ride. Um, it was just, it was just my favorite movie of the year. It just, it, it takes you for a ride and doesn't let up until the ending. It's uh, I don't know. What did, what did you think about it? I know you liked it quite a bit. 
Yeah, I, I did. And the only reason it's not higher on the list is because, I mean, if I was grading style and lead performance, like this movie would probably be number two right behind The Irishman, maybe number three behind Once Upon a Time. But the movie, the source material of the movie kind of falls flat for me. But Adam Sandler in the Safdie Brothers style is what fucking knocks this movie out of the park. Adam Sandler is at his best. The Safdie brothers have this amazing style. It's very gritty. It's very grimy. It really sucks you in. The score is awesome. Constantly moving. I don't think you go more than 60 seconds without somebody saying fuck. Like it's just, it's one of those fucking movies where you're just like, yeah, this is it. Like this sucks you in. Like I'm in New York. I am anxious. I am panicking. I'm freaking out. I'm like, why the fuck can't you just say when? Like why do you have to keep pushing and pushing and pushing? And that's what they want you to do. And I highly respect that. They had a vision. They moved it. They just, yeah, if you, like I said, if I was grading off that, this might beat the Irishman, if I'm being honest, because these guys are fucking geniuses. Like they really are. I think you would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, You know, I, I, you know, it's like sometimes, most of the time, style over substance. Now, not to say this movie has no substance, because it does, but it's, you know, it's not the, it's not, it's not the reflective ideas that you think about when you think about Irishman or Once Upon a Time, you know. It's, um, but it is style over substance most of the time with Uncut Gems. And most of the time, that's not good enough. You know, most of the time, it's just not. You know, you, you have to have some, you know, you have to have some meat with your, you know, with your dessert. You know, you, it's, it's, or maybe that was the wrong, maybe that's the wrong metaphor. I don't know. You have to have some vegetables with your mashed potatoes, I guess, maybe. Hey. Um, just real quick, did you just say meat with your dessert? <laughs> I just, I just want to bring, I just want to bring that back around, uh, just real quick. Look, meat with dessert. Look, I'm a writer, okay, uh, right? That's I, true. I teach writing for a living, and so what? What? I, what can I say? It's a complicated metaphor that I don't have time to explain right now. You know, meat with dessert. It's you wouldn't understand. It's it's a writer. I like that answer. That's a great answer. Um, look, the point is, you know, style, most style alone, most of the time, isn't enough for this movie. I'm sorry, but it fucking is like it, you know, and also I feel like it, it, it impacted me a little bit more because I mean, I saw it probably a mile away from where the movie takes place. Um, I mean, probably not even that uh, from the diamond district. Um, and it, I mean, it was in a, a raucous theater filled with people laughing at exactly the right moments. And, um, it just, I mean, I don't know, man, it was a thrill ride of a movie and like you know i i want to be the guy who's like ah the reflective you know winter lion martin scorsese makes his late career masterpiece but like also like i'm just like nah man uncut gems baby like slice all those gems up and stick them right up my nose like i loved it so much and you know this movie is is what it feels like to live in new york sometimes you know you're hustling you're bustling you're trying to get from point a to point b even running errands like you've got a okay well i gotta make sure and catch that bus because it stops running at six, but the other bus starts running at seven thirty, and we got to make sure and stop by Target on my way home. Even if you're running errands, you know, in the Bronx, it can feel like that sometimes. And uh, it's just, I don't know, man. Just put it, put it right in my veins. Hook the IV tube up. I'll, I'll take all this you got. It's, uh, yeah, that was that was my favorite movie of uh, of twenty nineteen. Well, like the man says, that's your meat with your dessert. So, uh, yeah, um, that's it, guys. That was our take two of this. If we had any mic issues. We apologize. We're still working this whole remote thing out. 
But as we said, all 10 of these movies, highly recommend. Watch them. I know I'm going to watch the ones I have not seen. We'll revisit them uh, later down the road. And uh, and that's it. You got anything else to add for the listening audience? I don't think so. You want to tease our next episode a little bit? What we're going to kind of dive into for the rest of the month? Oh, yeah. Okay. This is a good one. So we're probably going to just have series that we work through of directors, writers, actors, and one of us will pick one month and one of us will pick the next month and rotate. So in January, after these two episodes, of course, after our best of 2019 and best of the decade, we are going to do Catherine Bigelow's filmography. And I am super fucking excited because one of her movies, I think, um, is a fucking gem. It's probably in my top 10 favorite movies of all time. Uh, it's a work of art. You have not seen it. I don't want to say what it is. I can't wait to talk about it. So make sure you come back for that because uh, it is going to be a lot of fun and uh, it's going to be fun to talk about it. I actually haven't seen a lot of Catherine Bigelow movies. I think I've only seen like The Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty. Um, well, shit, those two movies alone are fucking great. Like, Yeah, yeah I, I'm criminally under um, underappreciating uh, Catherine Bigelow's work. I mean... We're talking Near Dark. We're talking K-19, The Widowmaker, um, The Loveless. I think that first one's called um, Point Break, of course. And Detroit. Yeah, Detroit. I've never seen Detroit. That's John Boyega, right? Yeah, and yeah, that was that's a great movie as well. No, dude, she is she is something else. I do think she is a bit underappreciated and uh, in, in the directing community. So yeah, I'm pumped to do an, to do a whole series on her. We're going to do all of her movies over the course of January. So make sure you check back and uh, just listen to what we have to say about those. And if you haven't seen them, maybe it'll give you a reason to revisit them and appreciate a great director. Hell yeah. All right. Well, until then, uh, for my Netflix-loving buddy, Jonathan, uh, my name is Jacob. Thanks for uh, coming and hanging out with us at the uh, Silver Screen Video.